is Shane Iker, and for those of you who are in the rodeo world, Shane needs no introduction. Hi Shane, how are you? I'm good, thanks. That's good. Well, let's start at the beginning. You're in your early 40s. When did you get involved in horses and the life that you now lead? How long have you been doing this sort of stuff for? Well, I've been doing this most of my life, the whole horse thing. I uh, started very young, and around the age of five, when I was did a pony club and show jumping for a lot of years till I was about the age of 12, 13. Um, and then I went actually into polo cross, uh, representing Queensland and juniors, playing polo cross. And then uh, my sisters, my two older sisters, Shelley and Tammy, were both um, pretty successful barrel racers anyway. I decided to tag along and uh, start doing a bit of rodeoing, and they started doing a bit of roping, and I sort of jumped on board, and then um, they both retired and got married, and I stayed here, and I haven't left. <laughs> so a junior polo cross player, what, were you 15 when you did that, or 12? Uh, I would have been about 14 when I represent Queensland playing polo cross. From polo cross to rodeo, that's a fairly big change. I'm fairly closely involved with the polo cross world now. But, uh, yeah, the rodeo uh, world is certainly a completely different um, environment. Um, why roping? Why not bull riding? Well, I was very passionate about bull riding. I always wanted to be a bull rider, <laughs> but I guess I just comes comes across that, um, yeah, I probably didn't really have the ticket to do it. But I was always sort of probably more enthused on the bull bull side of thing later on in, in life I became a bull contractor for, for 10 or 12 years and um, yeah I had a pretty successful line of bulls and that sort of always probably impressed me more than the actual bull riding sort of thing and uh, so that's the way I went for a fair while. Yeah you certainly did have a, a good string of bulls and you were certainly renowned in the central Queensland area for probably having some of the best and then you know, as time went by, you, you grew that string and, and became sort of nationally known for, for your bulls. What did you think made a good bucking bull back then? Things have all changed, I guess, since you've, you've um, got rid of your string. But what back then do you think made a, made a good bucking bull? Well, I think uh, I've probably got a bit of a different opinion on this, but I was more in love with the bull that bucked hard every time and was reliable and was uh, sort of that bull they rode. If they did ride him, they were sort of 88 to 90 points and... Yeah, I really liked them bulls that kicked hard and turned back and had a good pattern. And, um, yeah, and behaviour too. I probably wasn't into the mad, mad hooking bulls, even though I was probably known for a couple of them. But <laughs> um, but uh, I had a bull for a little while called Ronnie Wiggles who was renowned for, for, for hooking people. But, um, but no, I, I had my favourite bulls, older bulls like Overdose and Jaws and Devil's Own and stuff that were reliable bulls that people loved to get on. That was a bull that I probably loved more than the rank one, you know. So, um, yeah, I did have one bull left. That was probably the success of me bulls for a long time. I bred my bull called Cowboy Up, but he wasn't all there. He was mad and hooked and he could buck, but um, I do believe his progeny was a lot better than what he was, actually. Yeah, um, those who are not involved in this industry don't realise how much time and effort and energy you put into a bucking string of bulls. I've watched many of your bulls buck and it used to always amaze me that they'd buck someone off and you'd stand in the backyards and whistle and they'd walk home like the pet bull that had been pottied all its life 
how much time and effort did you put in to getting them to that stage? You know, there was plenty of rodeos we'd go to where you could clearly see that that sort of time hadn't been put into them. They spent as much time getting them out of the arena with no rider as they did uh, getting them into the arena with a rider. So did you spend hours doing that? Yeah, well, I, I sort of did spend a lot of time with them in that way. I just I just sort of was one that believed that they had to give me some kind of respect and that whistle was the respect and... Uh, yeah, I just found out if I got got the respect there, they behaved uh, a lot better in the shoots, outside, out the back, and they didn't waste the energy like playing up, getting up the shoots and then playing up out the front. You know, their energy was mainly based on bucking, and then the quicker I got a handle on that and and, and got them well behaved, my job was way easier. You know, but yeah, no, it does take a lot of hours, a lot of hours, and you sort of got to eat, drink, and sleep them for a while to work out the way they think. A big thing too with bulls, you know, is. I was really big on not putting, like I can just give you two examples, Griefmaker I had, and he was a great bull for a lot of years in Cowboy Way. They absolutely hate each other with a passion. <laughs> if you put them together, that wreck 10 sets a yard. <laughs> so I, it, there's more to it than just sort of, you know, I couldn't put this bull with that bull and that bull with this bull because it just, it was like they've got personalities and, you, and you've got to work it out, you know. And, um, you know, we had another bull called Walthing who absolutely hated me with a passion. He would try to kill me every time I got in the yard, you know. But... Um, yeah, it, they've got personalities and funny little ways about them too. Yeah, we had a bull called Grasshopper who tried to bite you. and Yeah, they, they have got a really good personality and it's quite interesting to get inside that personality. Yeah, and, that, you know, there's plenty of people out there who think that they're mistreated if they only knew how much time and effort you put into getting to know those uh, personalities and, and the time and effort and money that goes into feeding them and keeping them in a condition to... Uh, to compete because in their own right, they're as, as big an athlete as the rider sitting on their back. I think they'd all be pleasantly surprised. I guess you no longer have the bucking string? Oh, no. I've always, I've been breeding them ever since and I still sell bulls quite regularly because I really wanted to get out of it but never really did. I've still got bulls here and I've still got cows and we inseminate cows all the time to bulls from overseas and and, uh, and bulls of our own, but now I've actually got a young bull here right nearby all over those that I think's really, really good bulls. So, yeah, no, we've still got me feeling. I'm too passionate to throw it away altogether. I could never really give that part away for a little while yet. And my little four-year-old, as well as Jordan, my older son, they love it too much too, so I don't think I could ever really give it away 100%. <laughs> it is a bit like a drug, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, more than you know. <laughs> So once you, you decided you were going to go rodeoing, um, you went to the States for a while. Do you think that had a huge influence on the way you now compete, on the way you now train, on the way you see rodeo? I mean, it's a much bigger sport in the States than it is here. And what would have been the highlights of your time while you're in the States? Well, I did a, I live with a guy over there called Clay Logan and um, he's a horse trainer over there. He's one of the best in the world and um, he's had a lot of success in the futurity side of things of road training and rope horses. And I sort of, even though I loved radio, and I probably took on the horse training side of more of things, which later on in life um, sort of led to me what I do a bit. But, yeah, I sort of didn't realise that when I got there, I really sort of liked the way this, this horse training, we went to these horse shows, and I would ride a lot of horses over there and, um, yeah, training them. And, and I picked up a lot of things from Clay, and I still keep in touch with Clay pretty often. And, um, yeah, I think that's what changed my radio side of things is... Um, that I sort of went into the training sort of things a fair bit bigger once I'd got back from America and uh, probably opened my eyes to how good horses could be after riding them ones over there, of course, you know. And so what, what do you think makes a good uh, 
trained horse? Is it in the breeding? Do you think you can turn any horse into a roping horse or is it, it takes a special sort of horse? You know, we've interviewed a few people for the series and, you know, a lot of people have said you can't train donkeys. It doesn't matter how good they think they are. If they're no good, they're not. Do you believe that you can be given a horse and you can turn it into a roping horse or is it pretty early in the piece that you work out it's never going to make it? Oh, I guess the thing horse for courses comes up. Of course, um, yeah, the, the top line bred ones are definitely easier to train. You know, but in the earlier years, there was plenty that I trained that weren't that weren't um, weren't the most well bred. You know, the horse I won in the 2001 title on JD, he was he had absolutely no breeding at all. He wasn't built for it or or shaped for it by any means. And uh, you know, he was one of the most honest horses that I ever rode. Even in this stage of my game, I still I still you know that horse every time I nod on my face, I knew what I had. So I don't know if I 100% agree with that. Don't get me wrong, breeding is a big, big thing, but, you know, there is some horses out there that haven't got any breeding and uh, do just as good a job too, mind you, but um, definitely breeding does help. I won't try and veer away from that. Uh, over there, I think uh, most of the horses you get on over there are well-bred, you know, they're bred in the purple, nearly every one you ride, whereas over here we haven't got the luxury of as many well-bred horses, you know. But um, over here, I think probably one of our struggles on the rodeo side of things is finding horses big enough and strong enough to do it. Uh, the cutting game's definitely gone to the small side of horses, uh, the quarter horse. Yeah, for us to find a head horse that's, you know, sort of that 15 to 16 hands and big and stout and, and not clumsy, well, yeah, it's a bit of a handful over here. But um, you can find them, but they're not they're not on every tree, you know. Are you going down the line of breeding your own for that reason? Because it, they're harder and harder to find. To find a 15, 16 hand horse at the moment is pretty unique. They're not to a penny. So have you decided to breed your own or are you still in the market all the time keeping your eye out? Well, I breed a few horses, but mainly because my mum and her passion. So we mainly just always keep two or three very well-bred mares and we put them to some pretty well-bred stallions around the place. But um, I, I probably always just keep my finger on the pulse. I mean, with the internet the way it is now, you're always online. You can always see what's out there and what's about. And uh, yeah, we get to see a a lot more horses are sold. There's a lot of good sales with the, with the landmark sales and the Dolby sales and all that kind of thing too, you know. So I guess it's more about just keeping your finger on the pulse because um, breeding definitely is a slow way around. But, uh, I mean, you can try and breed the biggest horse in the world, but you mightn't get him, you know. So, no, I definitely keep my finger on the pulse. I'm always buying horses. Um, myself and Dad always, um, that's Dad's passion, I think, is getting on Facebook and looking for horses, but he finds me <laughs> plenty of them, don't worry. But... Um, yeah, no, I, I buy a lot of horses in, mate, and um, probably the leg up I like is because you can buy that five-year-old horse that's ready to go on with. So, yeah, we've always got sort of the 15 to 25 horses in work here, and, uh, yeah, they're definitely all shapes and sizes. Let's go back to your rodeo life. You certainly are a well-respected, well-crowned cowboy within the Australian circuit. What's the, the award or the title that you've won that you hold most dear? I guess it would have had to mean um, the one I probably remember the most and, and hold highest is uh, the 2001 Calf Open title in Toowoomba. I went there and I think I was in 13th or 14th spot and I only just made the finals. Uh, I used to just um, mainly do the, the Central Queensland circuit. I never really ventured anywhere, but uh, I'd made enough this year to, to go to the finals. And um, went there, I was only a, a kid pretty well. And uh, I had a Oh, it was myself, Mark Knox and Shane Kenny and come last day we were level pegging it and a mate of ours and he still coaches me to this day, Jeff Miller. Um, he said he got us three boys together and took us out for breakfast before the last round and, and made us all shake hands and 
best man win kind of thing. And anyway, um, yeah, I end up winning. But uh, the toughest car for open I had, I've ever been. I think I was nearly eight on every calf, and and Mark Knox was right behind me. Shane had missed one, but he was still wasn't far behind us. And um, it was my first one, and. Yeah, it was against all odds probably too that I wanted. So I think that's probably holds the biggest one for me. I went down there by myself and I didn't really know anyone and um, ended up meeting a lifelong friend down there, Wendy Caben, and me and her still best friends. And yeah, she was there by herself and I was there by myself. And uh, yeah, we sort of got friends and I won that title. And yeah, it was, that was the biggest one and it still holds the biggest place in my heart too, I guess. What year was your first title as all-round cowboy? You've won it more than once, I'm sure. Yeah, yep. My first year was 2008. Was it the first Orient title I won? It's got a bit harder to get the points now because it's become such a popular popular sport that, uh, you know, you've got to be fairly on it to be competing fairly regularly now to be up there in that game. So how many miles did you put on the truck that year? Yeah, no, we put plenty. When you're young, though, and you're that age, you, <laughs> miles don't seem to be, miles don't seem to, be, seem to be as long, you know, but when you get now, my age now, and you yeah, every mile seems to be double the length it's supposed to be, you know. So it's sort of, yeah, I don't know, when you're that young and you're that enthused, miles don't seem to phase you. You could have one on the other side of Australia, you seem to think it's only ducked in the rocky to do it, you know. So, yeah, I don't know, it's different, you know. When you when you go into a rodeo, you don't really think about that too many miles. The only thing makes you think about it is when you fuel up, you know, the diesel cost a bit. But um, I, I had the luxury of travelling with some great guys over the years, so um, it was probably... Sitting with them fellas in a truck for 12, 14 hours wasn't nearly that hard. So 2008 was your first? Yeah. When was the last title? Uh, 2016. So you've still got it at this age and uh, are you still competing on a regular basis now or have you uh, sort of... Yeah, I'm, I'm still still mixing with them. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's experience, mate. It's yeah, experience. yeah, I'm still mixing with them. Look, I, I lost a lot of weight there a while back. I lost, you know, a large quantity of weight. Mysterious one definitely... Took a little step back. I um, I used to be able to throw me out of the arena. Well, at the moment they're using me to drag the arena. But um, but no, I definitely get getting my strength back and getting a little bit of form. I have started a new horse and CRS uh, one, and he had his first year last year. And I guess I'm hoping this year that we can sort of click together a bit. But uh, yeah, no, look, as far as team rope and calf rope, I've got great team rope partners. So. You know, I can sort of mix it with anyone when it comes to the team roping sort of things. And, and the same with calf roping, I still back myself to be able to mix it with the best of the guys. So, yeah, no, I've still got a few miles left in me. I, I'm, I'm regular, sort of pretty well injury-free. I um, I used to have bad, bad ankles and stuff, but I'm sort of a bit lucky that way. I haven't had much knee trouble. I've always had a bit of back trouble, but no knee trouble and nothing to hold me up so far. So hopefully I've got a few more miles left in me. You've certainly uh, built it as a family sport. Your wife, George, is very successful in her own right and, and Jordan's coming along very successfully too. Did you work hard at keeping it like that? I mean, it's pretty easy for you to jump in a truck, like you say, with a couple of mates and off you go and it doesn't really matter if you don't get home till midnight on Sunday night. Things change once you've got a wife and kids. So what changed in the way you rodeoed once you achieved those goals? Well, it didn't sort of change a whole lot. Georgia was sort of... Even before we got married, she was one of my best friends. She did travel with us a lot, you know. So um, George has always been sort of half part of our family anyway. But, yeah, you definitely have to make a lot of changes. Don't get me wrong. But it's not hard when everyone's passionate about it. It's not that hard at all, really. We all like good horses and we all practice plenty. We all do our, our, our time. You know, Jordan was pretty lucky in his life. He wasn't a kid that had to practice a lot. He had a huge amount of talent and still does it. Now he can put his hand to... Any sport he does, from you know, in the rough stock, he, 
he's, I think he's done nearly every event in rodeo and, and, and done pretty good at it, you know. So he, you know, he's had a few body troubles through the years, a bit of knee troubles, but he's going, um, Jordan's going overseas shortly to college in Cody, Wyoming, um, riding Bronx and roping calves. And then, um, yeah, Georgia, like I say, Georgia, she tries, she's had to work hard to get where she is, but Georgia's one of them people, if she decides she's going to do it, she'll do it, and nothing will stop her. So oh, it's been good. I, I loved every bit of it, you know, being with your family and doing the sport you love, and, and they love it too. Well, you couldn't ask for much more, in my opinion. And um, my little four-year-old, well, he, he thinks he's a world champion already, so <laughs> he runs the show already, so there's not worries for about Mason, but... Um, yeah, he's more crazy about bucking things than I think me and Jordan ever were, so I don't think there's any chance of the bull thing going away for a while. It must make you immensely proud to see um, Jordan do as well as he's done, like you say. Um, he's clearly pretty gifted and talented, but it doesn't come with just that. It takes a lot of dedication. No doubt there's times when he would have rather probably have gone to a party and had to give up the party because tomorrow there was a competition. I mean, I guess... He, he just went with you because that's what you do when you're when you're a child. Was there ever a stage where you thought, oh, I don't think this kid's going to stick at this rodeo stuff, or has it just been his lifelong passion since the day he took his first breath? Yeah, when he was younger, he wasn't, you know, uh, he didn't really love it that much. You know, we put him on horses and he poked around, and then all of a sudden it changed. Um, you know, Jordan probably struggled a little bit through his career, being my son and the pressure that goes along with that. You know, but um, but no, I've seen Jordan do things in in rodeo events that you know some guys practice their whole whole life to be able to do what Jordan does. Like he was tying calves in the junior calf rope in eight seconds. You know, <laughs> um, a lot of guys rope their whole life and can't rope a calf in eight seconds. You know, and like I say, he made the steer wrestle in the finals when he still had a helmet on. You know, and um, yeah, it is, and Jordy's a bit the same. If he decides he's going to do something, he'll do it. Yeah. You know. Um, Jordan's biggest thing is he's a very, very hard worker and uh, he'll never back down and anything. Hard work definitely won't bluff him. So uh, I, I think he'll probably succeed in anything he, he does in life, you know. So because of that, he and uh, that's probably one of my biggest things in life, that I push everywhere you get out of life what you put into it, you know. And um, Jordan definitely, he definitely puts plenty into it. So, yeah, he'll be just yep. fine. Your respect within the rodeo community is evident. Um, you're currently the executive chairman of the APRA. That must take a lot of time. That obviously would uh, throw you some challenges. It's a pretty tough gig to keep everyone happy all of the time. Uh, do you enjoy that job or is it one that you said, it is my turn and I probably should, you know, have a go if we want the sport to continue? Or um, was it a job that you put yourself forward for? Well, I've sort of always done things a little bit younger than everyone else. Um, even from my young age, my old fellow always pushed me in a bit younger than I was probably ready to go, but I always sort of stepped up and, and, and got the job done, you know, and um, I think it's probably helped me out later in life because I never sort of took too many steps back from anything, but uh, I got a bit blindsided with this job, And um, but don't get me wrong, since I've been on here, I've liked it a lot, you know, there's been a lot of curveballs thrown at us, and um, there's another couple of younger guys on the board with me, and... Um, yeah, we've sort of taken the opportunity and run with it, you know, and uh, we think we're going to, oh, well, we don't think we're actually going pretty good. And, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky. I've got um, girls in the office down in, down in Warwick that are very, very capable of what they're doing. That definitely makes my job easier, but it definitely uh, does worry me sometimes. I spend a lot of times on the phone when I could be spending it with my little boy, but uh, I love my sport, and um, I just try to... Draft it all up so I get plenty of time with everything. And, um, yeah, once I've got a bit of a sequence sorted out, 
I do. I don't mind it. I actually probably like the animal welfare side of things probably more than anything. I'm pretty up to date with all that. I made a relationship with people in the RSPCA and people in the in the DPI and the ministers and stuff. And I sort of yeah, I've got a pretty good relationship. But um, I, it was probably my turn. I've done plenty of radio on over the years. I guess it must be nearly my turn to stand up and help out. Just on that animal welfare issue, do you think that is the biggest issue facing the sport, or is there something that? I mean, that's what the general public hear and that's what the general public base their opinion on the sport on. Is there another issue behind the scenes that the average person who's not involved in the sport doesn't see or is animal welfare still your number one issue, not at a board level, but I don't, do you think that's the number one issue, I guess, for the sport? Our biggest issue is uneducated people having a lot of influence on our sport. They have no idea on exactly the mechanics or the way animals are looked after or dealt with. Mm. You know, they have no idea at all. I go to these meetings all the time and they wouldn't know one end of a buck and bull to the other or one end of a calf open horse to the other, you know. Like, um, you know, a lot of people always say, oh, the calves need to get bigger and bigger, but if you've got any kind of common sense about you, you realise that the horses are tied to the calves, so you're probably going to end up hurting the horses more than the calves. Mm. So, um, you know, it's just... I find that our biggest battle is uneducated people commenting on our sport when they really don't have any idea on the lengths that we go to make sure our animals are looked after and looked after great, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, they always say that the calves are mistreated. Well, you know, I rope calves here every day and my calves are looked after. They, got, they go on cows and they got grain and everything. And every day I run them calves down to that arena them calves buck and kick down the laneway like they're going out in the back. Yeah. Every single day. So it's not as though their ears are dragging on the ground, their tails are dragging and like they're like, not this again. Mm. You know, so uneducated people never ever see that. You know, and um yeah, I I think our biggest trouble in sport, not just our radio sport, in sport in general with animals, is to educate the people on exactly how this works. Yeah. You know? Um don't get me wrong, animal welfare is a big issue and we're taking great steps to make animal welfare better at the moment, working with the Queensland Government and new code of conduct. But, um, yeah, like I say, we have meetings all the time with uh, with activists and uh, our hardest part is to actually explain your sport and, and tell them how it works because they really don't have any idea at all. No, and, you know, it's been an ongoing issue in rodeo probably conservative for the last 25 years that, you know, animal welfare issue... You know, from the inside, it looks like there's been great improvements and and big steps made in that animal welfare. Do you think that message is getting through to the greater public? I mean, you go to the Warwick Rodeo, there's thousands of people there. You can't but walk away and think, well, not everyone hates it um, and not everyone thinks we're cruel. Do you think that message is getting out there eventually? Well, between you and me, it has to be because every rodeo we've gone to this year has nearly been a packed house. Mount Isa had ridiculous numbers this year and then you go to little towns like Nebo that has got a population of very little and then you've got to be inside the gates by 7.30 because they shut the gates and they won't let any other people in, like there's 7,000 people in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can't be doing everything wrong if 7,000 people are getting in the gate before 7.30 to watch us. Yeah. You know, so um, we're doing extreme things. I think uh, there's been always been that bit of a disillusion to think we're trying to hide things. Well, our sports are viewing sports, so we're not trying to hide anything. We're doing everything right in the arena because it's there to be watched. And, um, you know, I quite often talk to our blokes, you know, if we do everything right in the arena and do our job, we won't have any complaints. You know, we just got to do our job right and put it across properly and, uh, and professionally. And, uh, no, I don't think we'll have any dramas. There's always two views on it, you know, but we just got to put our view across best we can. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's... 
it's fair to say that it's certainly a growing sport, I would think, um, over the, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, it's become a very popular sport and it's been taken to places that once upon a time it never would have gone to, you know, finals on the Gold Coast in an inside arena just right beside the casino. I guess when you started your career, you would never have even thought that that was ever going to happen. An amazing show gets put on at the Gold Coast for everyone to come to see. It's certainly come a a long way and I I guess all of these sorts of things that we've just spoken about are make it what it is. As the executive chairman of APRA, you wear a big hat in relation to keeping the sport in the front line and in front and centre of people. What do you think you're going to do to keep it in like that in the future to come? Or do you think the the adrenaline of the sport will sell itself? No, no. I do believe we've got to move with the times. Everything's got professional these days, and I think that's what we've got to stand by and by our name. It's Australian Professional Radio, and I think that's what people pay the money to come and see is for professional cowboys to do their job. Um, you know, we've got accredited buck and bulls, we've got accredited pick-up man, accredited bullfighter, everything's accredited, and um, I really think that's what people pay the money to come through the gate. They don't want to pay the money to come through the gate and see a bull not leave the arena or animals being mistreated or guys not competing up to the standard that we should be, you know. So I think, you know, keeping and putting rodeo at a, at a higher standard is definitely helping our, our numbers in the crowds and our publicity and our sponsors, I mean... That's what gets us good recognition. And, uh, yeah, that's why I believe we're moving forward because of the professionalism that we are showing. So just on a personal note, what's the rodeo that you love to go to most each year or the best rodeo that you've competed in? And not just because you've come away with the win, but because the way it's run, where it's at, the people that are there, the weekend you had. You know, you talk to people in other horse sports and they go, oh, it's XYZ's the best place and I always try to get there. Where's the best rodeo for Shane Iker? Mate, um, I think it's a bit of a, oh, well, I've just had great success here, but I've always, it's, it, the, the atmosphere is, is second to none. Uh, and, and the way the rodeo's run is second to none, and that'd have to be, um, there's, there's probably two, but Nebo is probably my most successful rodeo and the one I love going to. You're in the main performance at Nebo, you can hardly hear yourself think, is that loud? The atmosphere's great. You never get away, never get a win there unless you're at the top of your game. And uh, yeah, she's and she's always that packed. You can hardly fit in. And it, it, I just love the atmosphere. And it's a great country town. And the whole the whole towns, you know, their association, the Nebo, they've all got their shirts on, and they just love to be there. And they love having us there. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, sometimes you go to, and they don't, you know, you don't get that warmer welcome. But at Nebo, they do a great job. And yeah, and it's the biggest pay in one day. See, that always helps you win some money there. You, you, if you win there, you go away with a fair bit of fair bit of cash. You know, um, there's always a bit of a uh, rivalry between Nero and Clon Curry. And uh, don't get me wrong, Clon Curry is is a high favourite too. Um, yeah, it's a great rodeo. Once again, supported well by the community, uh, good crowds. You know, and uh, I've, I've done really well at them at them two rodeos. I think money because I really liked them too. Yeah. You know, but I have done great at them two rodeos. Don't get me wrong. Well, Warwick and Mount Isa are great to win, but they're just two personal favourites that I like. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, it's not always the biggest or the best or the flashest that resonates most with with a competitor. So you've been doing this for a long time. You've seen, I would gather, hundreds, probably thousands of competitors now. Who do you rate as the best all-round cowboy that you've competed against or with? Uh, In this country, in Australia, yeah, we'll start with Australia, yeah. Yeah, yep. No, the hands down, Shane Kenny is um, 
has definitely been the, the, my most, um, biggest rival. Shane's always, you know, he's, he's won more titles than anyone and uh, the results will tell you there. But Shane, I guess he's probably helped me in a lot of ways. Is Shane never backs off, ever. No matter what <laughs> position he is, he never backs off. You know, he's never going to say, oh, whatever happens. So he's, Shane always goes out if he's going to win and he's got it in his mind to win, he is hard to beat. Yeah. So um, I guess that's probably made me a little bit better too over the years. You're only as good as your best competition, you know. And uh, as you know, me and Shane have been at it for a long time now, mm. um, years and years actually. So, I mean, we just wanted to write team roping together out of Comet just not long back, you know. But I guess you're back either of us in the corner, you can never ever walk away and, you know, if you're leading, think you're safe because neither of us are going to let you have it easy, not ever, <laughs> even though we're, we're getting a bit old and steady, we've still got a, still got a few cards in the pack that we use and um, I think the biggest thing with myself and Shane is um, the horse power that we ride, can never underestimate him, um, Shane rides a great horse Jelly Bean and I rode, a, I rode our own car horse called Jackson and um, they're two big assets to both of us. They've won in every big arena in Australia and they're still winning. And, um, yeah, I think uh, when there's probably a calf that can't be caught or can't be handled real well, I think them horses definitely help us out to, to enormous measures, you know. So um, And the same in, in team rope and chain rides good head and horses and I ride good head and horses. It definitely helps for both of us rope with great partners too, so that always helps too, you know. So um, I've competed against great cowboys too, likes of Mark Knox. He's someone you never ever let take your eyes off either, you know, but there's so many good kids coming through now. Campbell Hodson, yep. you know. Mitch Eastwell, I think Mitch Eastwell's one of the best calf ropers this country's seen. So, yeah, no, there's there's plenty around. And uh, don't get me wrong, Campbell's looking down the road to being one of the greats too. So, yeah, no, I've competed against them all. I think, Shane, you can safely say you've done a great job. You're certainly uh, in a position now where you can take the sport forward both from an experience point of view and, and with position you hold on the APRA, so Alton Downs Cowboy, as they say, Shane Iker, we wish you well and we wish you many more catches. Thank you very much and uh, thank you very much for listening to me. Thanks, Shane. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications, specialising in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.